gospel drawing. Carl, you want to put that up there? Uh, this, is, this is not as good as my tree and trampoline drawing, uh, which was masterpiece. But this is what N.T. Wright says uh, is this six-act drama. So it starts with act one. I know it's kind of cut off on our screen. So there's act one is creation. Uh, so we're tracing the, the linear movement of, of Scripture. And then act two is the crime. It's, it's the place where, you know, and every good story has it, right? Things are humming along. Things are great, good, grand. And then something happens and, and there's broken relationship uh, or, or there's some sort of crime. There's some sort of sin. So this is the fall, right? Uh, that's the second act of Scripture. Number three, the, the third act is Israel. There's this long then story of God's people and how God interacts with his people all the way through the rest of the New Testament, really. Uh, in various forms, like prophets and kings and things like that. But it's all Israel. The fourth act is Jesus. We get to the New Testament, we get the Gospels, and Jesus comes on the scene, and he becomes his own act in human history, in, in, the, in the, the story of God, uh, all by himself. He dies, is resurrected, and goes away at Pentecost, in bodily form at least, which initiates the fifth act uh, of the story of God, of Scripture, which is the church. And that's a long one. This is a long act. There's an act six that hasn't happened yet called the eschaton, the end times, the the end of the story. And it is written, that act, there is a script for it. We don't know exactly what it is. The, The Bible gives us some hints about what it will look like. We don't have the whole picture, but it is written. But what is unfinished is act five, and that's where we are. We are smack dab in the middle of this unfolding drama of, of Scripture, uh, and it is unwritten. It is unfinished. We are there, and we've been going on there for 2,000 years, and who knows when that act will conclude, and we'll move on to the final act uh, of, of cosmic history. Uh, but, but we are there, and the story is unfinished. We... Uh, N.T. Wright kind of alludes to, we are actors in the unfolding love story of God restoring all things and bringing about the new heaven and the new earth. We actually become actors in this play that God has been putting on since the very beginning of time. And our task as actors in the play is to keep the drama alive, to keep moving it forward until we can get to Act 6, until we can get to the end. We don't want it to stall. We want the, the narrative that has been being told from the very beginning to keep being told on and on and on. So we actually become actors in God's magnificent play. Uh, it's kind of fun. But we don't know how to do this, right? It's hard. We don't... There's no script. We've run out of script. We got to the end of Acts. We got through Paul's letters, and the script ran out. And so now we're, we're kind of left to our own devices to figure out how the heck do we keep this storyline going in a way that makes sense uh, to the narrative that's always being told. Uh, and, uh, and so we ask God for more help. Uh, we ask God for more lines to the play. And he essentially tells us to improvise. You got this. Uh, you've, you've got enough to be able to improvise the rest of the play. 
you can do this. And he promises us his spirit to be able to do that, but he basically tells us to improvise. Uh, uh, Brian Walsh and Sylvia Keysmat, who I've, I've been using as a trusty guide al- along this journey, they have this really long quote that, uh, I'm sorry to share such a long quote, but it's fantastic. I'll put it up on the screen, but it's in like one point font so that it can all fit on the screen. Carl, you want to throw that up there? It's not that small, but you need good eyes to be able to read it. So this is what they say. If we are to faithfully live out the biblical drama, then we will need to develop the imaginative skills necessary to improvise on this cosmic, this cosmic stage of creational redemption. That's, that's beautiful already. Indeed, it would be the height of infidelity and interpretive cowardice to simply repeat verbatim over and over again the earlier passages of the play. Right, we're, we're tracking here. It would, it would be wrong in every way possible if actors came on to the scene and just kept repeating the same lines that, were, that they heard earlier in the play. That's no way to live. Uh, the task is not so much a matter of being able to quote the earlier script as it is to be able to continue it to imaginatively discern what shape this story must now take in our changing cultural context. So imagine being in an improv theater class. Uh, Imagine you're in this place. You're in an improv class. There's no lines, and your task is to always keep the plot moving forward, to keep the story moving forward in sync with the way the narrative has been trending. Right. Can you, you can imagine this. There's a story going on, people talking about this kind of scene, and you get to walk into this scene, and you're a new character in the scene, and your task is to keep the, the plot line going, to keep the storyline going, to push it forward in a way that makes sense. You would never dream of just repeating the same old tired storyline over and over again. That would be boring and stifling, right? Imagine you walk into the scene and you just are repeating all the same lines that the actors just said minutes ago. It makes no sense. It makes no sense to do that. And you wouldn't dare just take the story in a random direction that wasn't in keeping with the previous storyline. They're in the midst of a love story and they're talking about husband and wife and the husband goes off to war and you walk in talking about peacocks. Like, it, makes, it would make no sense to the storyline, right? You want, to con- you want to walk in and continue the storyline. I didn't know I was going to preach about peacocks this morning, uh, but you never know. Uh, so that would be incongruous with, with what we're trying to do in the drama, right? Yet, I think these are the temptations for us when we read the the biblical text or when we seek to live out the biblical text. We lose the creativity. We lose the spirit. We lose the spark. We even lose the plot sometimes. We We must learn to walk the tightrope between a commitment to the deep, long-lasting truth of Scripture. We must be committed to the deep, long-lasting truth of Scripture while never allowing the way that we live that out uh, or to speak about the Bible to become boring, uncreative, outdated, and out of context. That makes sense? When I'm talking about the way I used to read Scripture... I wasn't treating as as if I was jumping into a massive, grandiose, beautiful story that's been unfolding since the beginning of time, and I have this creative, imaginative way to keep the plot line going, and I'm going to talk about it in beautiful ways. 
I was just reciting the old same, the, the, the same old tired story from before. I, I was just monotonously share, you know, droning on with the same old thing. It, there, it had never sunk into my heart and become something that was real. It was always just in my head, and, and I, was, I was breaking up the story. I wasn't continuing the story uh, in, in a beautiful way. Again, Walsh and Keysmet say this, and we got another humongous slide for you. Uh, there, uh, that we'll throw up even smaller this time. Uh, there is a certain dynamic in this approach to biblical authority that could be described as a dance between innovation and consistency. Our serious reading of Scripture must be characterized by fidelity to the thrust of the narrative and thus provide our life with a consistency and stability, a rootedness. The, the text, the biblical text, should give us a rootedness, a stability, something that we can hold fast to uh, in, in all moments of life. At the same time, however, the Bible as an unfinished drama gives us freedom for historical innovation and thus a creative and imaginative flexibility in our historical responses. Because it grounds us, roots us, uh, allows us to feel stability in its pages, it actually allows us to springboard from that place into a life of flexibility, creativity, imagination. Uh, It is only by maintaining the essential relationship between stability and flexibility that we may avoid the hazards of both a rigid fossilization of our faith and a deeper relativizing which gives up everything for a moment of contemporary relevance. When we don't read scripture from a place of both stability and flexibility, our faith can become hard, rigid, and boring. I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen within myself. And we lose the creativity and personality that faith requires. This is meant to be fun. This is meant to be creative and imaginative. We're meant to go out from these, this place and live for the next six days in creative, imaginative ways, engaging with our community, loving our neighbors, uh, being on our block, uh, and being a faithful presence of God wherever we go. It's supposed to be fun. It's not supposed to be boring and monotonous. It's not supposed to be a fossilized kind of faith, Uh, but it can become that, especially when we read the text as a fossilized text. We end up saying weird things at funerals like God has a plan because our fossilized faith just keeps repeating the same tired verses and sayings, lacking any sort of personality and creativity and depth. Uh, We're not thinking clearly, we're just spouting off whatever's kind of stuck in our brain uh, that's become fossilized and hard and rigid. And there's no life, there's no meaning, there's no depth there. Or our faith can become so watered down and shallow in an effort to be cool and relevant uh, that that it's not meaningful at that point either. Which is what seeker-sensitive churches like Willow Creek have been repenting about for the last six or seven years, realizing that for far too long, we just allowed this thing to not have any roots, 
to not have any, any depth, any stability. We were so flexible in the way that we did ministry, in the way that we tried to live this, that we actually lost the stability, the rootedness that comes from this place. So we can do one of the, one of the two. We can focus too much on the stability, where we have no flexibility and creativity and imagination in the way that we live it out, or we can water it down so much and try to live out so, so flexibly, flexibly, I don't know how you say that word, that there's no rootedness. There's no groundedness in this ancient text that is so, so important to us. So, uh, to briefly return to the drama metaphor, the story is unfinished. There's no script for us to follow. There's, there's nothing, you know, we get some, some cues, we get some keys, but this thing doesn't really tell us very clearly, like, how I should use my cell phone, right? I don't think scripture is going to tell me uh, how, how my car or my credit card should be used, right? I don't think that is in here. So uh, uh, the story is unfinished. We don't have a script to follow, and yet our great director wants us to keep the plot going as faithfully as we can. So the calling is to what Walsh and Kiesmat call faithful improvisation. We are called to a life of faithful improvisation. We take what we know about God's, God and his kingdom, what we've read and studied and experienced and been taught. These things have been passed down to us from generation to generation, and we immerse ourselves in the Bible and in knowing God. We want to learn. We want to grow. We take what we know and we've studied and we've learned, and then we take what we know of our culture what we've seen and heard and lived and experienced, we immerse ourselves in the culture and practices and communities and empires that surround us. We learn all there is to know about our culture, and then we do our very best to faithfully improvise a faithful life. We do our best to follow how God would want us to live here in this place 2,000 years after he's left the face of the earth. Uh, and again, I think that's what we've been trying to do here in the book of Colossians, to take what we know about this letter, to try to understand the words and the author and the Colossian church and the context that they live in in the Roman Empire as best as we possibly can, and then we take what we know about the 21st century, the world that we, know, that we live in, that we know well, uh, that we could know even better, and then we seek to make as faithful of connections as possible between their world back then, 2,000 years ago, uh, and our world today. We, we try to find a way to live better uh, with more depth and more meaning and more significance uh, here in, in our day. Uh, we have to faithfully improvise when it comes to the Bible because we're taking an ancient book and we're trying to make it relevant 2,000 years later. Uh, and so we, we struggle. We wrestle through it. We have to do our best to, to wrestle there. And we see that wrestling approach all throughout Scripture. People who were rooted uh, in their faith, but were creative and adventurous in how they lived that out. And if I had time for, for a 45-minute sermon, I promise I would give you more examples. I cut out at least a page of my notes last night because this was going to drag on way too long. Uh, but we see it over and over again. Uh, we, we see it in Jesus in, in, in a number of ways. In the Sermon on the Mount, he's always saying, you've heard it said this, right? You've heard it said an eye for an eye, uh, and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you... Uh, uh, turn the other cheek, 
Right? Or he, sa- he says, you have heard it said uh, things about murder, things about lust, things about anger. And then he flips the script and he tells them something else that's often even harder to live out. But that's the exact work that Jesus is doing when he says those things in the Sermon on the Mount. He is rooted in the ancient text and yet he's living it out faithfully, Im- improvising as best as he can in a more modern world for him. Uh, or I think about uh, John 15, the vine and the branches passage, where, where we're invited to abide uh, in, the, in the vine, connect ourselves to the vine. We're rooted uh, in, in the ancient. We're planted and grounded there. And yet it says to abound in love. You go out in love. So it's both this like rooted and plucked and going out to bear, to bear fruit. Uh, and this faithful improvisation is essentially what Paul uh, is arguing for uh, in Colossians 2. If I would have moved forward with, with the text today, this is essentially what he's arguing for in Colossians 2, verse 6 and 7. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith that you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. We receive Christ. The Greek word is paralambano. We receive Christ, uh, and, and that's a way of saying that Christ is passed down from generation to generation. Think about your old heirlooms. Christ has been passed down from generation to generation. Things that were special to one generation get passed on to the next, and that's what Christ has done. He's been passed down, and we are rooted and built up in Christ, as Paul says here. But if that's as far as our faith goes, uh, that that we're, we know some things that have been passed down to us and we have Christian roots, then something has, miss, has, has gone missing and our faith has hardened and been fossilized. So as Paul says here, we're called to continue living our lives in him, or, or the Greek alludes to walking in him. We're called to walk in Christ, or he says uh, abounding or overflowing in thankfulness. Those are action words. Those are active words of faith. They remind us of a need for an active, dynamic faith. Be rooted? Absolutely. Be taught and strengthened in your faith? Most certainly. But then take that knowledge, grounding, rootedness in Christ and allow it to fly freely into a faithfully improvised life. Uh, I'll close with this. and probably time to go get the kids for, for communion. Uh, so what does this mean for us? A, a few thoughts for us uh, as I close here. First, first thought. Let's immerse ourselves in the Bible. Uh, I loved Scripture as a kid, and I love Scripture today. Uh, it's still so vital for us. It's still so important for us living a good, full, abundant, rich life. Let's immerse ourselves in this text. I, I love what Deuteronomy 6 says. Verses 6 through 9. I think this is so good. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. That's an immersion uh, in Scripture. 
right? I, uh, Zoe had a birthday party on, on Friday the other day, and I, I was cleaning the garage out a little bit, and I, I overheard her inside, and she goes, you guys want to go upstairs and read some Bible stories? And they totally did, which uh, maybe I have a little evangelist or something, but she is just loving Scripture right now, and she is so immersed in it. Can we be that, those kind of people that we write it on the door frames of our heart? It's everywhere. We're saturated in it. Learn all you can. Study all you can. Memorize all you can. Spend time in this beautiful, profound, sacred text, dive headlong into its wisdom. It is good. But don't do it like I did as a kid. Do it as a wrestler, as a searcher. Do it as someone desperately longing to wrangle blessing from its pages. Ask questions, wonder, sit silently in its splendor, but never be content with simplicity or status quo. It's way too important than, than, than read it that way. Let this provocative book push, poke, and prod you into growth and maturity. That's number one. Immerse, let's immerse ourselves in the Bible. Second, let's immerse ourselves in our culture. Let's learn all we can, engage all we can, study this beautiful world we call home and the beautiful people we call neighbors. Uh, let's walk with our head up and our eyes open. Let's actually try to get to know the world that we live in. Let's read, let's study, uh, let, let's know what, what does it really mean to be in the 21st century? What are people thinking? How, what are they like? Uh, let, let's, uh, let's be informed about our culture and aware of the contextual water we swim in every day. Let's be a student of life. Let's immerse ourselves in our culture. And, and then finally, let's creatively adventurously and faithfully continue the drama of scripture the story of god let's let's take our rootedness in this text let's take our rootedness in our culture and then let's creatively adventurously and faithfully continue the drama of scripture let's faithfully improvise a good life god has been up to kingdom work for thousands of years and still is today We've been rooted in scripture and faith. Now our task is to carry on the story of God. To in, uh, in improv language, uh, which I'm not all that familiar with, but kind of the one rule of improv is you always abide by yes and, right? Whatever happens in the scene, you say yes and. You, you just keep the story moving. Keep it going. You never say but and try to take it in a different direction. It's always yes and. Can we say a great yes and to God's drama that has been unfolding from the very beginning of time? Taking what we've received and creatively and adventurously continuing to live and walk in the way of Jesus. And may God guide us and strengthen us in our efforts. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you have been doing this thing from the very beginning of time, and we have no idea why you would want us to be a part of it. But we are grateful, and we want to take the challenge this morning. We want to take the challenge of being rooted in faith, having a deep faith that has been immersed in Scripture, but we also want to tie that in with our culture and, and faithfully improvise a good and beautiful life, the kind of life that's a blessing to the world and to our community around us. Help us to do that. Give us the courage to do that. We need your help. May your Holy Spirit guide and direct our efforts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.